Hi, and welcome to Right to Life of Michigan's Life Beat podcast. I am your host, Anna Plymert, and today our legislative director, Genevieve Marnin, is joining me to talk about the new package that was just introduced, the Reproductive Health Act. Good morning, Anna. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, you know, given what we just saw introduced, (laughs) not so great, but, you know, we're going to get through it. We are going to get through it. And at the end, we'll talk about how you can get through it, too, and what you can do to help. But for now, we're just going to explain what has happened so far and what this um, package of bills means and what is all included. So there are two bill packages, one introduced in the Senate, six bills, and then another 11 bills in the House. And in previous terms, in 2019 and again in 2021, pro-abortion legislators at the Capitol attempted to pass what, what they euphemistically refer to as the Reproductive Health Act. This time around, it's even more expansive than what they tried to do in 2019 and again in 2021. And essentially, this bill package, in a nutshell, would codify into state law the elements of Proposition 3. So it would create this fundamental right to abortion and all the other, quote unquote, reproductive health care. In addition to that, it would repeal all or if not all, most of the uh, pro-life laws that we have had on the books for decades. So not great things that are within this bill. You mentioned that they have already introduced this in the past. What is different about the one that they just introduced? So in the past, we've always had a firewall, if you will, in the legislature in that we had pro-life majorities in the House and the Senate. So those bill packages never even got a hearing. But now that we have slim majorities of pro-abortion supporters in the both the uh, House and the Senate, and of course we have a radical pro-abortion governor just waiting to sign these bills into law, that's the biggest difference is that the likelihood of these going through and passing is much more significant than it was in 2019 and 2021. But as far as the elements of the bills, they are coming after some basic common health and health and safety laws that people should know about. For example, they want to strip clinic licensing and inspection from the laws. They, they don't want clinics, abortion clinics, to be inspected and licensed by the state any longer. And that is, that doesn't serve anybody. You know, no women are served by that. The only one that is served by removing any kind of regulations is the abortion industry itself. So, you know, no industry is allowed to regulate itself. But for some reason, Planned Parenthood and the other abortion clinics want they want a free pass. They they want to follow their own rules. So that's that's very significant. And I think that the public needs to understand that that's very dangerous. Um, we saw what happened in the Gosnell Clinic in Pennsylvania when they didn't have clinic licensing and inspection. And right here in Michigan, a few years ago with the Muskegon Clinic, it was so egregious. The violations, the health code violations were so egregious that the fire marshal shut that clinic down uh, because of uh, it was so deplorable. And that's what happens when we don't have accountability and inspection and licensing. 
I think what's interesting is this package of bills is being promoted as a way to finish the job, a way to finish what they what voters started uh, last November for Proposal 3. And I think that it's interesting that they're going along with everyone knew that Proposal 3 was going to repeal all of these laws, even though that's not what they were told. And they're just assuming that voters are going to go along with that, which I guess they wouldn't know if they were because it's the legislators who would ultimately be deciding on this. Another thing that's interesting is for those of you that didn't watch Governor Whitmer's What's Next address on August 30, she basically said this is going to get introduced very soon. And I'm so excited to be able to sign it because we, again, need to finish the job. And I um, I promise that I will get this done for you all. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that, you know, we on the opposition side of the Prop 3 coalition, we were trying to bang the drum and warn people that this amendment is very dangerous and that, you know, you think you're just quote unquote hashtag restoring Roe. And in reality, this goes way beyond Roe. Uh, under Roe, every single law that they have their sights set on repealing was in place. So things like clinic licensing, informed consent, uh, partial birth abortion ban, parental consent, uh, abortion recording, the humane disposal of fetal remains, and the list goes on and on and on. All of those laws that they are now claiming need to be repealed because of Prop 3 were in place under Roe, and yet all during the campaign for Prop 3, the, the mantra, their, their slogan was, hashtag restore Roe. So they lied straight through their teeth to the, to the voters of Michigan when they claimed that all they wanted to do was restore Roe. And now they're claiming because of Prop 3, we have to repeal all the laws that were in place under Roe. Um, and of course, we know from polling from MRG that 90% of voters, even those who voted for Prop 3, want safe and, and sanitary clinics. So even if women choose abortion, they want to know that they're walking into a clinic that has been inspected by the state, is licensed, and is up to the same code as every other surgical facility in the state. And yet, repealing these laws will lead to, um, unfortunately, the abortion industry regulating itself. And who knows what that will lead to. So they're saying that all of these laws need to be repealed to uphold a constitutional right for abortion for everyone. I think something that I've been wondering, because I'm not a legal expert, and maybe other people have been wondering, is just because abortion is technically a constitutional right, does that mean that they have to get rid of all regulations and and safeguards against it? Isn't there other constitutional rights where we still have laws regulating it? Um, all constitutional rights do have safeguards or guardrails on them. So, you know, there are, you know, I mean, we can talk about the Second Amendment and all kinds of laws surrounding that and all kinds of restrictions and safeguards and waiting periods and everything else. 
So one of the things in this bill package would strip away the 24-hour waiting period for an abortion. Well, there are no other surgical procedures that you can just walk in and get same day, and yet they're acting as if the 24-hour waiting period, which allows a woman the, the opportunity to really digest all of the informed consent data and really make an informed decision. But the abortion industry doesn't want that. They don't want you to stop and think about it. They want you to just walk in and get it done. And yet this is a life-altering decision. 24 hours is not too much to ask to say, you know, here's some information, think about it, digest it, and then come in for your abortion. But even that's not good enough for the abortion industry. And yet if you want to purchase a firearm, for example, there's a 72-hour waiting period. Um, and, you know, and that's a constitutional right as well. So, yeah. Having a constitutional right to abortion does not mean there are absolutely no safeguards and no guardrails around it, and yet that's what they're that's what they're acting like. Yeah, that that is very strange. I was wondering how so many people are more confused by this, and how we're just sort of. I mean, we are not letting this happen, but it seems like the public and the press reporters just think that that is a good enough reason to get rid of all of these protective laws is because, oh, it's a constitutional right, so there can't be any limits on it and everyone needs to have access to it in any way possible. So I guess it's just confusing. You look at any other constitutional right and it seems like there's always some limits on it, some regulations on it. Well, example on that is, one of the bills in this bill package would repeal our law on a taxpayer-funded abortion. So not only do they want it to be a constitutional right, they want you and me to pay for it. They want right. taxpayers to pay for it. Now, you have a constitutional right to your religious practice, but taxpayers are not buying your church. They're not paying you to go to church. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, they're not paying for your newspaper subscription, even though you have a right to free speech. So yet at the same time, they expect taxpayers to pay for other people's abortions. And, you know, we, we fought that battle back in 1988. Uh, they tried to challenge the law that we passed then. It went on to the ballot and overwhelmingly Michigan taxpayers said no. It's one thing if you want to choose an abortion, it's another thing to compel me to pay for it. People who have a conscientious, conscientious objection to abortion should not be compelled under under law to pay for someone else's abortion. And yet that's what will be in the, that's in this bill package. And I think that, uh, you know, voters and people need to call the representatives and their senators and say, no. Vote no on this Reproductive Health Act. We should not be compelled to pay for someone else's abortion. And we do expect health, basic health and safety laws to remain in place, regardless of the constitutional right to abortion. Do you think that it was voters' chance last November to say, well, we actually don't want these things? And not that it's too late, but it's ultimately up to the legislators who... I guess we shouldn't speculate, but we don't necessarily have a pro-life majority anymore. We don't. But I will tell you, interestingly enough, in the bill package, the Reproductive Health Act in 2019 and in 2021, 
it included a repeal of the parental consent for abortion law. They don't, they don't think the parents have the right to be involved in their minor daughter's abortion decision. So this year, this in this bill package, they've backed off on, or at least they said they've backed off on the parental consent law. And I think it's due to a ton of political pressure. And I think that voters can make their voices heard and and demand that these health and safety laws remain in place, just like they did when they demanded that parental rights remain in place. So we've seen that political pressure can force these guys to back off on their radical agenda. So I say we keep the pressure on and we make tons of phone calls. Call your representative, call your senator, call the governor's office and say, you know what? Health and safety laws matter, and we want these laws left in place, just like we want parental consent left in place. If you can't tell by now, our our um, thing that you can all do to help this is to call your representatives and your senators and tell them to vote no on the Reproductive Health Act. Um, I mentioned in the beginning that we were going to have something for you to do, and that is definitely what you need to do at this point is to call them no matter their political affiliation, no matter if um, they are pro-abortion or pro-life, give them a call and let them know why they should vote no on this and what's at stake here. Absolutely. You know, I think that if you know that your representative or your senator is pro-life, you know, here's the thing. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bills that go through the legislature every year. And we just we just assume that all of our legislators read all the bills and know what's going on. But unfortunately, there has been a lack of transparency in this term. Um, and for example, I'll give you the perfect example. I was speaking to a couple of pro-life legislators about the Reproductive Health Act because I've been getting calls from legislators or excuse me, from reporters. And our legislators were not given any advance notice that this was coming or an advance notice of the bill. And yet reporters, the media, were handed copies of the draft legislation before pro-life legislators were. So what I, when I, so what I mean by that is don't assume that your legislator knows what's going on. So when you call your pro-life legislator, you need to educate them about what's in this bill package, how dangerous it is, and why they need to not only vote no on it, but to educate their fellow lawmakers about the dangers of it. So that's a different ask, I think, than if you're calling a, a legislator that you know is probably an abortion supporter. Um, that's when you need to say, listen, I'm your constituent, and I'm asking you to do the will of your constituency and vote no on this package. At the end, we will direct you to where you can find your phone number or email for your legislators if you don't already have that. So keep listening for that. At the end, we will let you know where to find that. But I wanted to talk a little bit about or have you explained, Jen, what happened yesterday because it sounds like a new package of bills was introduced, possibly. So what we've had up to this point were basically teasers from Planned Parenthood, NARAL, ACLU, all the abortion supporters held a press, a press conference 
And, you know, they were super excited about the upcoming um, Reproductive Health Act being introduced. And then, the, as, you, as you said, the governor alluded to it in her next step uh, press conference. But the bills themselves were not introduced until yesterday, an 11 bill package in the House was introduced, and the day before, six bills in the Senate were introduced. So slogging through all of that, it, we're trying to still piece together whether what's in the bill corresponds to what they said was going to be in the bill, or if it's something different or more. So that's the hard part is you only get bits and pieces from the media, from the press conferences, but we've got to read through all the bills to see exactly what's going on. And one of the things I did discover just doing a quick read through is they, they, they don't even want transparency. They're trying to repeal the abortion reporting law. That has nothing to do with the constitutional amendment or a woman's right to choose abortion. This has everything to do with transparency and keeping the public informed about Who's having abortions? How many abortions are taking place? How many people are coming to Michigan for abortion tourism? Um, how many teen abortions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't want any accountability and they're trying to repeal the abortion reporting law. And that's different from the package in 2019 and 2021. For example, I haven't even finished reading through the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of the bill yet, but I'm working on it today. I think we've seen them not being transparent even within the informed consent law it is being marketed i guess as the 24-hour waiting period well if you know anything about that it is a part of our informed consent law and most people probably don't know most women probably don't know that you can refill you can fulfill all of those requirements for the 24-hour waiting period and informed consent at home the day before your appointment, print off the paper, and it timestamps it. And I think a lot of the media is grasping onto this notion that women will go to their appointment, they have to wait 24 hours once they get there, they have to get a rental car, they have to get a hotel, spend a lot of money and take a whole two days off of work. Um, I think that's kind of how they're promoting the repeal of the 24-hour waiting period or what is actually informed consent. You're absolutely right, Anna. And it's it actually sickening to see the fact that there's no investigative journalism out there pushing back on the narrative that's being forwarded by the abortion industry itself. The abortion industry has created this, this sad story, if you will. Um, they're trying to pull on the heartstrings of Michigan voters and create this narrative that this this 24-hour waiting period and this, this this gigantic burden, it's so costly, it's so expensive. Women have to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles twice to fulfill it. And as you pointed out, that's simply not true. When you call the abortion clinic to schedule your appointment, they tell you, go online to the government website, to the state of Michigan website, here's the address, click through the informed consent pages and hit print bring the paper with you the next day. That is, you could you could fulfill those requirements from your smartphone at home. So that it's just total nonsense that this is a, a an obstacle. You know, they want to say that these laws are barriers to uh, your right to abortion. And yet, like I've pointed out, speed limits 
and seatbelt laws are not barriers to driving. They are safety mechanisms for drivers. Informed consent and clinic licensing are not barriers to abortion. They're safety mechanisms for abortion patients. And, um, and as you also pointed out, that 24-hour waiting period is being sold as that's the only thing they're targeting. Mm-hmm. And in reality, they're targeting the entire informed consent law. There's not another medical procedure on the planet that, that doesn't require medical informed consent. I mean, it's the, it's the standard, basic standard medical ethics to give informed consent before a procedure. And yet the abortion industry does, they, they want to keep women in the dark. They don't want you to understand the risks involved in the procedure or alternatives to abortion either. I think when you take a closer look at um, repealing the clinic regulations, who who is that a barrier to? It would be a barrier to the abortion clinic because they have to put in more money to follow these regulations. It wouldn't be a barrier to women receiving abortions because, the, I mean, they don't have anything to do with how an abortion facility is regulated. And so I think it just goes to show they want to get rid of these regulations so that they can have more facilities and don't have to put in the effort into following these regulations and and make sure that the health department is regulating them. So when this is marketed as it's a barrier to your constitutional right of getting an abortion, well, no, it's not. It's a barrier to these abortion facilities making a profit. Correct. You're absolutely right. Let's just call it what it is, Anna. This is Planned Parenthood profit over patient safety. Let me repeat that. Removing clinic licensing laws is putting Planned Parenthood profit over patient safety. Now, maybe Planned Parenthood facilities will would follow all the building codes anyway. And that's the other thing. They, they market these licensing laws as they are burdened by having to have hallway widths a certain size. Well, there's a reason for those certain size, and that's so that a stretcher can get up and down the hallways in the event of an emergency. These are the same requirements that are, are, are in place for any other outpatient surgical facility. You want to go get your knee operated on or you want to get a colonoscopy or any other surgical p- p- procedure. They have the same requirements because it's about safety. And yet Planned Parenthood wants to be able to cut, and not just Planned Parenthood, all the abortion industry mm-hmm. wants to be able to cut corners and cut costs. Right. We are nearing our time of closing this episode, but I did want to put in just a thought that is maybe on the positive side that could motivate us to keep going. We've mentioned that parental consent is not included in the current package of bills for the Reproductive Health Act. And I believe, yes, that there was political pressure, but also I think from our volunteers and our affiliates and even us here at Right to Life just constantly talking about parental consent and making sure that people know about it, making sure we're talking about it on social media, on all of our communications with everyone that we know. I think that could be a reason of why they've kind of backed down from it. So if we take that idea into um, the Reproductive Health Act and just keep talking about it and keep 
talking about our talking about it with our family and our friends all the time, I think they'll feel the pressure and we can hopefully have a vote no on it for all of, well, for the majority of our legislators. That's exactly right, Anna. That's exactly right. That's what we're hoping for. Um, We banged the drum real hard on parental rights during the Prop 3 campaign. And I think that's exactly why they backed off on repealing that law. And we need to we need to talk about women's health and safety. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. you can choose abortion. I, I, you know, as much as we want you to make a choice for life, the option to choose abortion is on the table. But health and safety for women matters. And everybody, even people who voted for Prop 3, believe the clinics should be regulated, licensed, inspected, and safe, and that women should have information prior to their abortion. So at the very least, if we talk about that, put it on social media, call our legislators, I'm hoping we can put enough political pressure that we will get a few of these um, pro-abortion, abortion-supporting legislators to vote no. You can reach out to your legislator on our website if you search Take Action. You will find a post on there and has links to the website that lists all of their contact information. You just put in your address and it will pop up all of your legislators and you can reach out to them in whatever way you wish to, either call or email them. We strongly encourage you to do that. If you have any questions about what you should say or talking points or anything along those lines, I'm sure Genevieve or Hennessy in her office will be happy to help you. Absolutely. And we did send a memo to all of our affiliates that kind of detailed some of this. Um, I will let your listeners know that we've had some complaints about the legislator link at the Senate level. For whatever reason, I wonder who's running this website, but if some of the Senate email addresses are are not working, so I'm going to be trying to work with the Republicans uh, to fix that. But in the meantime, they're, they're, you can find your legislators on our link and you can call them for sure. Yes, and please do. Thank you, Genevieve, for joining me today and explaining all of this to our listeners. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and thank you everyone for listening. Bye.